if I have an inner child inside of me that needs attention and my kid needs attention, or there's something frightening that's happening in the world and it makes me feel frightened, I can't soothe my child because I first need to soothe my own internal world and my own panic. In this week's episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast, we welcome Esther Goldstein, a licensed clinical social worker and trauma specialist supporting those with anxiety, depression, and trauma. In this conversation, Esther discusses how to understand, support, and treat children who suffer trauma as a result of bullying, anxiety, divorce, adoption, or any other overt or subtle forms of trauma. And now your host for the Hope to Recharge podcast, Matana. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me here again with Esther Goldstein. I wish you could see her smile. Maybe we will show her smile because her smile is what brings the energy front. Esther Goldstein is a therapist in our community. I've been following her a lot on social media and she's friends with a lot of my friends. And then I said, you know what? I think it's time to have her on and hear what she has to say to my questions. And I reached out to her and I said, you know what? There was a recent story about an abuse in our community and it was going public. And of course, after a week, we stopped talking about it. But I still ponder about thinking about it. I just like keep on thinking as a mother, what am I doing? Am I preparing my children? Am I doing the right thing? I posted a question on social media and she's I think I can answer it. So my question was, when there's like a trauma that goes on in a community, like an episode, so, and everybody's talking about it and the kids are talking about it and we're trying to build awareness. How do we train our children to know the difference between a gut reaction and a trauma reaction? How do we navigate them to know, oh, one second, we just heard a story that some guy molested a girl in the back alley. Does that mean that every time a girl goes in a back alley, should she be afraid that there's a guy that's going to come and molest her? Like, how do we build trust within themselves to know the differences. And maybe it's okay to have the both reactions and not know. And it was something that I personally saw that I was having a reaction. And I said, I don't know if this is a gut reaction or a trauma reaction. And I didn't know. And I know a lot about mental health and I did a lot of the work and I had no clue. And I wanted to understand for myself that I can train my children better. And I think a lot of parents are struggling with what tools do we give them? Instead of preventing them, how do we teach them to be able to have the, the, the proper awareness and the triggers to say, wait, this is right and this is wrong. And maybe because it happened to my friend and it didn't end right doesn't mean that it won't end right by me. What is the difference between gut reaction and trauma reaction? Esther, thank you for joining me here on this conversation. Yeah, I'm really glad I'm like smiling and nodding along as you're asking this question and grateful for your thoughts and wisdom. And yeah, excited to dive in. So before we dive in, give uh, the audience a little bit of a background. You started this private practice and it's thriving. My name is Esther Goldstein. I I have also been like silently stalking you and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> following you and your wisdom. And I'm always like, wow, that person has this awesome energy. And more than that, there's these conversations that you talk about that most people talk about in their therapy sessions or with their best friend or with their significant other. And I have been seeing that you've started almost like a conversation about mental health and the reality in such a normative way. Like when we talk about our lives, sometimes it's like therapists talk about their clients, like stories that they've learned in client stories, or they'll, they'll hint towards their own experiences, or people will share anonymously, but there's a certain power to like, hey, let me talk about my experience. Let me open a conversation in our community. I'm a mom, right? Like talking about the reality of struggle and then of triumph and then the in-between of just regular life. I just want to thank you for existing. I know when I came on to connect, I'll introduce myself in just a second, but when I connected with you, you never really know who you're going to be talking to or the layers. And I know in our initial conversation, my smile was like... <laughs> I thought that was your natural smile all the time. Like you are now. No, I have a big smile, but then there's like my, when my heart smiles and there's like the energetic smile. Yes. And when you were talking about like these conversations and like authenticity, and I know a lot of times with clients or with colleagues or friends, we always talk about when you meet someone and you just feel like they're emotionally awake and it's Mm -hmm. such a um, refreshing, energizing experience. So you're very emotionally awake and there's a door I have in that connectedness. My name is Esther Goldstein. I am a therapist. I have a practice in Cedarhurst. It's myself. At this point, we have four clinicians and some other admin staff. The thing that I love and I'm humbled by and grateful for about the practice is that I really came into the field of... they're going to go into a big law that a part of me was like, I want to help 
protect and speak up for children of adoption or children of divorce, speaking up for those who don't have a voice or helping them find their voice. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I don't know if I'll be successful at being a mom and a lawyer because the mm-hmm. hours are very demanding. And so I ended up choosing the mental health field. But I started off, like I told you, working with addiction. And then I ended up transferring over into the trauma world because I realized that the root of any kind of addiction or dis-ease is often trauma, neglect or things like that. So my journey into building a practice was more of my own experience in finding good mental health. Like I remember speaking to a therapist years ago and I was like, I have to figure like, why does anxiety feel like this for me and like this for someone else? So when I read all these health help books, why do I feel worse about myself? I think for me, what I noticed is that really good healing is something that happens in a sense of a community. So like, of course, individual therapy, but also like just a good support, a social network, and just people who have the same language as me. And I noticed that for my own self as a trauma therapist, as I was getting advanced trainings, and I've done a lot of trainings, I just felt a sense of like resonance and my own confidence. And because I had wisdom and knowledge alongside my own, obviously, like self care rhythms and improving health, I just felt a certain sense of settling and just ease. And I just felt like for those people who are committed to healing from anxiety or deepening their relationships, and those healing from trauma, there's a real gift of being surrounded by or being, I think, treated by those who have a similar language. And the clinicians on our team are all, at least my humble experience is that they're just all very real human people who talk about their own inner work, their own. Gilom always says, like, you can only take your client as far as you've traveled. So we're all like humble travelers. Wow. Work. Yeah. Can you say that again? Irvin Yalom, he's one of the fathers in psychology. He wrote great books. And he basically had this quote that said, you can only take your client as far as you've traveled. Does that mean that every therapist needs to go through the same experience that their patient went through? No, but it's a matter of, it's not about the experience. It's a journey. Have you done your journey inward? Have you traveled? Have you journeyed on a journey inside? Have you looked at the unspoken realities in your life? It's not about is my trauma or my abuse or my neglect or my fears or my hopes or my aspirations the same as yours? Are my parenting struggles the same? Absolutely. Absolutely not. It's have I taken the time and have I tapped into some courage to face some real humanity? And have I uncovered my strengths and maybe found, have I found myself? And have I also been okay with navigating some things? And I think it's a matter of who is the client that you could do good work with. I have different colleagues who work do very good work with different kinds of clients. I know the kind of clients that come to our practice are the kind of people that um, challenge the therapist, even if it's not verbally, it's emotionally. It's like, I'm going to go to a dark place or I'm going to go to a place where I have these questions. And I, and the therapist needs to be able to tolerate and actually invite those spaces to be explored with the client and only if they have the capacity to do it in their own way. And it's not something verbal. It's something you pick up on. I don't know if you ever have this, but I know for my own kid, there's conversations that I'll have with my child and there's, and there's things that have been shifting internally with me. The only way he knows it is because energetically there's the deepening or for my right. own self or colleagues. It's like, sometimes I see that people are doing deeper work and I'm like, it's because you are deepening your own experience on life. There's nothing, it's nothing about advanced training. Some of it's training, but some of it's like the deepening and expansiveness. Anyway, does that make sense? It's Yeah, and it's something, Brene Brown talks about it a lot. It sounds like a Brene Brown quote. And she has yeah. a quote that she quotes from someone and I'm going to mess it, mess it up, but I'm going to look it up because it's saved on my phone. I'll look it up exactly a little bit later, but it's something like the only way you can sit in somebody's darkness is if you're comfortable in sitting in your own. Wow. I, it was it, something like that. The only, although you can walk along the side of someone's darkness only if you or you're either comfortable with your own darkness or you've sat in it and you know it well and it was like so powerful to me I'm like that's what it is that you get the experience of darkness and you're comfortable with it because if you're not comfortable with your own pain how the heck are you holding space for somebody else's pain what do you mean? If you're running away right. from your own, you're right. going to run quicker when you sniff it. Exactly. exactly. And I love this conversation we're having right now because it is so intrinsically connected to the topic that we want to talk about, which is all about like gut and trust. Because at the end of the day, I'm just going to jump in. And then we'll yeah, let's go. Essentially, when it comes to the concept of trust, when it comes to the concept of like, how do I know if I should operate from this place of fear? How do I know like, when we notice things in the world, there are glorious, loving, wonderful human beings out there. And there are also some really unwell, dangerous people out there. And then there's a mix of people who aren't here or there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Or clueless people that do dangerous things. And we need to be aware. They're not evil. They're just clueless. I was talking about like the in-between people, because I think right. sometimes like, there's beautiful holy amazing people <laughs> in the world and then there's like these horrible people and I think there's something about like, there's the average, well, the average, right? average like parv there's people who don't do good and they don't do bad wait there is a difference in people who do harm and they are doing it from a place of dissociation or not being as attentive to it I think I told you with abuse there's like dissociative abusers right. and then there's 
narcissistic abusers, people who do it on right. purpose. But we'll talk about that soon. But I think that when it comes down to our children or when it comes down to this experience called life, so much of the capacity to trust has to do with what our inner landscape is how well we know our inner landscape. How do I even know if I'm having, if I'm having a hard time breathing? Is it because I had something that's giving me an allergic reaction? Is it because my friend is basically shaming me? Is it because I'm being ignored? Is it because I'm feeling uncomfortable on my skin? Mm-hmm. Is it because I have a test tomorrow? Or is it because I'm really unhappy about a relationship that I'm in? So there's something about even like the self-awareness and understanding your landscape versus feeling like you're in the dark and you're grasping and it's, ah, uh, I have to feel, I don't know what color is this? What does this look like? Is this something good for me? Is it bad for me? Is it, you have to figure it out. And so much of that comes from the experiences that our children have and the explicit words and experiences we give them, but almost even more so the implicit is not spoken about peace. So what we're talking about right now, by the way, of Renee Brown's talking about, can you be with your own darkness? Children, when we have clarity with our own internal world, we have the capacity to be with certain experiences without having to be like, it's a yes or a no or a black or a white. Our children could journey on that space more safely. And does that make sense? So it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. the opposite of trust is doubt. It's if I doubt myself, then I'm going to land up in a lot of situations that I'm not really sure about because it's a maybe, right? Trust is no, you engage in something and then you get clarity or you get information and then there's a clarity and there's right. a confidence to it. So the antithesis of doubt is really like the capacity to almost have this being and engaging with and then getting clarity and almost offering that. And I'm going like more global. But, and, and to be okay with doubt and to be comfortable with doubt and to sit with it and see what comes up. Because what I know in my past experiences with pain, every time there was something uncomfortable, either anxiety or sadness or fear or just a yucky feeling, I would run away and try to suppress it with let's go on a trip. Let's go for ice cream. Let's listen to music. Let's not listen to that confusion and mask it versus, okay, let's see what's coming up and be comfortable with the unknown. So there, if, if it's okay, I wonder if I could almost separate those two because you said two very profound things. Number one is being with it, right? Like number one, like so many times it's like, almost like the kid that comes in, ma, I got a scratch. Kid falls off their bike or another kid is like, ah, my friends ignored me. Or somebody storms up and goes into their room or your husband comes home and he's in a horrible mood or just shut down. And we're very quickly to here, you want dinner? Here, here, let me just put Bassett Tracen on here. Let me, and it's, can we for just one moment be with what just happened? Yes. I'm noticing what's happening to my mind and my body, right? My child or my husband or my kid or whoever. Yes. I get this angry text. I'm noticing that I'm starting to feel very, like my breath is shallowing and my body's heating up. I'm noticing this fear and I'm noticing this impulse to really want to help or make it better. Yeah. And then this person across of me in pain. And we don't like seeing somebody that we love in pain and we don't like experiencing pain. So let's quickly find the biggest band-aid that will cover the pain. Right. Most of us, just discomfort is not something that any of us go towards, right? (laughs) Or there's all these like Tempur-Pedic mattresses or- favorite coffee or whatever. It's all about pleasure. It's all about joy. And essentially, even if we think about Judaism, like it's all about elevating life. We want to live an elevated life. We do want to have joy. The thing that sometimes happens is that we circumvent the process of real joy by thinking like Band-Aid, it's going to feel better. Cream, it's going to feel better. Because essentially, if you can connect to the experience of pain or discomfort, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then I know you said something else, which is the second piece. Basically, it's if we can actually tolerate that temporary or not so temporary experience, essentially the joy or the healing the tending to is going to feel so much more settling and nourishing. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others essential for healing if you want to work one-on-one with me on these topics in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of click the link below in the show notes it's a custom made program for you one-on-one with me we will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being click the link below looking forward to working with you 
right? If the child says, mommy, let me tell you what happened. I basically was playing with Dave and Dave bumped into me and I didn't see it coming. And then I fell on the floor and I'm so upset because it was one of the first times I was finally able to run my back. And now oh, I have blood coming out. So the child's having the experience. They're sharing it with you. You're holding it with them. They're not feeling alone in it. They're making sense of what happened. And then it's, oh, honey, wow, that's really upsetting or whatever it is on the child's age, different levels of interaction. And then there's like the tending, oh, let's see, does it need a boob? Does it need to be cleaned up? But there's like this attachment, this nourishing experience. And then there's attending to it. And the kid later on that day, and then actually as they go to sleep and they heal, from the wound, but also emotionally from the shock, there's a lot more of a repair and a feeling of, okay, if a bad thing happens, I could be with that bad thing with my mom, whoever it is, and I can settle and find a way to be. But the capacity for that to happen is because there's another person being with that yuck or that fear or that worry in that moment that doesn't feel good to anyone, especially not the parent. Does that make sense? So what was the second piece that you said? Because I just want to name it because you said be with the discomfort and then you said something else. So there's the, there's two different what we try to escape it, they're sharing it. And then, then us trying to soothe it on our own by escaping it and, yeah. and, su- and suppressing it and pretending that it's not in versus saying what's really going on here as an adult or as a teenager, what is really going on here versus bringing music. Let's go to friends. Let's read a book. Let's go to Zumba. Let's suppress what's coming up versus sitting with it and saying, okay, what is really going on here? So I wonder when, so here's, I know what sometimes happens is like, when I think about my own self, my difficulty with being present, there's the escaping. And then there's like looking at what's beneath it. If you notice that you have escape, escaping tendencies, which many of us have, right? Like we could overwork or we could be so busy. Or we could always be cooking when the kids are in the kitchen. They want to talk about the day. There's many different ways of escaping. It doesn't have to mean that you're drinking, you know, alcohol. Or oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. TV. There's many ways. Right. So escaping is or the numbing. So I think that if we, number one, one of the things is even to just acknowledge, wow, I noticed that I escape or I notice that I pull away, or I notice I'm like, okay, let's talk about planning. Right? Like hundred like, percent. I know for my own self, like me and my siblings are talking about sometimes the difficulty at different times to just sit and play on the floor with our kids want to play a game. And like, they're being able to rewire or like the capacities because and the generation before it was like kids played with each other's and uh, some of the parents were more involved in some less, but it was the being an adult and connecting with children in a different kind of way was very unique. And it was like a new experience of just be present, right? With yeah. another practical. So I think just number one, Matana, what I'm naming is like, you notice that you have a pull to pull away, even just noticing it without changing it overnight, because the discomfort is the work. We don't expect oh, yeah. anyone listening to this to be like, okay, suddenly my escaping part is going to run away. No, and I'm no, just the awareness away. that, oh, wait, yeah. that's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm pulling into a coping mechanism right now, whether it's healthy or not, I don't know, but that's what I'm doing now. The deeper work, essentially, if we want to just go here in terms of trust is like in your own time, you could look at, I'm wondering what's happening in my life, or I'm wondering what's going on internally that I'm having a hard time being present. And if you pay some attention to that and you give some attention in your own healing or reaching out to someone, or even just paying some attention on your own or someone that you trust, essentially by giving that attention, you'll be able to come back to just being present and with a bit more expansiveness, right? If I have, I think we spoke about this. If I have an inner child inside of me that needs attention and my kid needs attention, or there's something frightening that's happening in the world, and it makes me feel frightened, I can't soothe my child because I first need to soothe my own internal world and my own panic. Yeah. Once I do that, then I can help my child. And I think that when we show our children that we're okay with discomfort and we're not always perfect and everything's great, when we show them that sometimes it's hard and it's okay and not everything is perfect, we're giving them permission to also have hard days and not fix it automatically. And it's- I think the answer, 100%, Natana, I know we even spoke about this. I think essentially the work, and I know this sounds so interesting, people say like it, when it, it comes back to yourself. And when I say you're talking about like us being okay and our children get the message and things like that. Um, whenever we say turn back to yourself and it's the best way, like when you do your work or when you model something, essentially you're helping your children. I think instead of it feeling burdensome, I almost wonder if it could be liberating just even in this conversation, because essentially it's not a matter of you do your work and your kid's going to be okay. Your kid might not be okay. Even if you do all your work, even if you're an amazing parent, even if you have the best genetics from both sides, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be struggles that you go through. And I know you and I spoke about this, right? As moms and parents, like there are some struggles or there are some things in this thing called life that sometimes land on our lap and it's what? 
how do I, what do I do here? And then if I'm having an interaction with what my child is experiencing, I'm hearing about the story in the alleyway. I'm hearing about this right, sexual predator. I'm hearing right. about this person who abuses power or right. a right. at school or bullying situation. And how am I interacting with that information? Right. right. What is it triggering inside me? And what, and then how can I model for my child or how can I hold space so that they could find their own wisdom, their mm. own Buddha wisdom, and also my wisdom, right? We want to give them a cocktail of like your, what we can give over verbally and also non-verbally, and also to help them come up with their own creativity. Cause when you're talking about gut instinct, right? Matana, like there's sometimes children, like there's a lot of wisdom that children will come to on their own that we actually might never have had, or we have a very different flavor wisdom, right? There is things that some children pick up on and it's, we actually want to help them cultivate that sixth sense on their own. And it comes from us trusting in their own developing process. Not being their crutch, not giving them the answers all the time. Yeah. Number one, because we don't always have it. And number two, they're going to find their answers in their own unit. There are sometimes a child, there might be a child who's very attentive to very specific detail. There might be a kid who notices other kinds of energetic dynamics. There's another kid who might be totally out to lunch, might pick up on like certain things intellectually. So I think just like being able to help our children find their point of genius and then also helping them have an area of self-trust that gets nurtured. Now there are some children that are totally checked down and a little spazzed out and you're just like, oh my God, this is so my kid. You hear a story on the news and you're like, oh my God, this is totally my kid. Like this mm-hmm. kid's going to walk right into the situation or this vulnerability, right. like I'm frightened about it. How do we give them tools? Yeah. So I'm think- not getting so involved or I'm thinking about a situation of, of bullying that went out in my daughter's third grade class. And I wasn't aware of it until a mom told me about it. And I didn't realize that my daughter was becoming a group like clicky with the bullies in order to not be bullied. She was protecting herself by becoming friends with the enemy. Friends. Yeah. And I was livid. And I'm like, that's it. I'm going and I'm changing. I'm going to do and I'm going to do and I'm going to do and I'm going to do. And this is not a no tolerance for bullying. And I think I don't know if I handle it correctly, because I should have really brought my daughter into the conversation and asked her, what's scary for you? How can you change it? Do you want to change it? I didn't want to hear for a second that my daughter is friends with a bully. It was my discomfort. And I'm like, this is not going to happen under my roof. My daughter won't be friends with a bully. And it was really my shame versus, okay, she's a good girl. She's a very good girl. She's afraid. And I'm forcing myself onto her and telling her, listen, and if you're going to continue, I'm going to pull you out of this class and we're going to have to put you into a different class because in our family, we don't act this way. And there was no permission for her to exist in her world because I was thinking she's a third grader. She has no clue. And this is trauma. Mm-hmm. And I don't want anybody going to sleep crying because of my daughter. First of all, so much respect as a mom. I'm just like, go you in the sense of the health of, I don't want anyone to ever get hurt. Like, I really admire that. And as you're telling me the story, what I'm hearing is that the holding two realities gets really tricky because there is the reality of as a mom, right? There are dynamics that go on, or there's a situation that could be happening where our child could be the one who's being hurt or is the one who's hurting or somewhere in between. Okay. And it's just this thing called life and different children struggle in different ways. So there is this piece of as a parent or as someone who's like in a position of right, having responsibility, there is a beautiful piece of thank you for bringing this up. I do need to be proactive. I do want to make sure that my child, like that this issue is being tended to. So I actually really honor that. Okay. Then there's this other piece of my child is in this, in this jumble of a social experience and she's trying to navigate it. And both of these realities are existing at the same time. And I think that honestly, I can't judge you on this situation because I've watched myself or said certain, certain things. And I'm like, what are you saying right now? But I think that there's this awareness of, wow, like here I'm noticing this thing happening. And at the same time, I also really want to check in on my kiddo because there's nothing wrong with conveying a value of, I, I heard this thing happening and I'm so sad. And I'm, I actually also heard that you might be connected to this. I know you're a wonderful girl. I'm wondering what's going on. Meaning, but here's the thing though, you're sharing with me your wisdom retroactive, right? So many times we get information retroactively. How could you have known in that moment? Some children, by the way, I just, I'm going global, not your daughter. Some children are more prone to being the bullies and some children are more prone to being the, the one be the one who's being bullied. And I think that sometimes even, I know lots of times I talk with my friends and we talk about there's this kind of child and how do you parent this kind of child? Like one person I was talking to, I'm close to her son is the bully. Right. So it's, and it's like, how do we work with the fact that he has a lot of aggressive energy? He's a very emotional child. He needs to be able to regulate himself. It's like, how do we tend to that in a way that makes the child slowly learn accountability and social engagement 
And at the same time, it's feeling validated and supported by the parent. Yeah. And and what I was doing it, like I knew that she was doing it for protection, but I also knew that she needs to be a leader. And I, my core values didn't match her core values. And I was trying to put my core values as the kind, the no bullying, the mental health advocate. I'm like, how can my daughter create pain for someone just because she wants to be a leader? No, you're going to change because we don't do those things versus seeing her pain. And what are you doing? What's absent? what's missing for you. It took me a few times. And then we, I realized it and we went to therapy about it and I realized everything. But my first reaction was I'm going to put a stop to this and I'm going to tell her she's going to stop it versus giving her respect. And she didn't even realize that it was really happening and unfolding. And I'm sure I shamed her. I'm sure. We all sometimes, we all shame. Sometimes it's sometimes we don't catch ourselves. First of all, respect to you, like pretending to this in the way that you did. I don't know that your values are different. I think you're just um, negotiating different developmental tasks. Your child is desperate to socially belong and to survive in school. Okay. And if she does have leadership capacities, she's learning how to manage those leadership skills, say, let's say, or if she's whoever it is, and she's going to go through these experiences, which will then nourish the way that she actually owns them. You are like a leader, right? And you're like, boom, and that works. Your social negotiation is very different right now than hers is. And essentially it might be the same. Hers just might be more nuanced. And it took her a little bit of time. Talk about awareness, right? Wow. I'm realizing that basically I'm watching that there's this bully and either I befriend the bully or I become somebody who's being bullied. That's the fear. And she didn't, and she said it straight out. She told me straight out. I became her friend because she's the leader and I didn't want her bullying. So if I'm I'm friends with her, she won't bully me. That is so smart and creative of your daughter. Yeah. But at the same time, I was trying to express to her that's that's not a healthy way for you long-term because you're going to get exhausted about with being friends with the enemy. Because it starts seeping out and it ends up impacting us negatively. So essentially the question really is, and I don't think there's a black and white question, how do we help you self-protect, but also not doing harm to other people and harm to yourself? If I'm becoming friends with a bully. Right. I'm on myself because I'm going to end up being bullied and maybe I'm like being bullied in a loving way, backhanded way, because I'm not, it's not in a public forum in the same way, but it's not healthy. It's, it's don't we all have this socially we're in studying? Yeah, this. 100%. Look at now with, the, with everything that's been canceled. What are we going to say in order not to be, what are we not going to say in order not to be bullied? And how are we going to say in order to be accepted? We have it now in the world, right? leaders have it. And she's a third grader. And I was hoping she would have the values of kindness that I was hoping that I was showing her, but obviously it wasn't. And her need to be in the spotlight was so much stronger than her need to be kind. I guess it's almost what if she's a, I'm just thinking even for myself, what if she's just like a developing person who's trying to navigate? What do I do? hundred percent. And she's in third, exactly. She's in third grade and she's very mature for a third grader. I'm just thinking that I wish I stepped back and I did. I wasn't so reactive. I was right away. Let's stop the pain for the other girls, for you. Let's put Seder. I'm going to. And it's just what you were talking about before when somebody bumps into somebody and bleeds instead of like holding space for the pain first and then finding solution. I went straight head on on the solution versus saying, what's really going on? How does it feel to you? Does it bother you when you're friends with them? Do you wish you didn't have to be friends? Do you wish there was no bullying? Do you, are you aware of bullying? But right away we went into solution repair. Yeah. And it's so easy to jump there, isn't it? As a parent. Yeah. Even as a person, but definitely as a parent, you're one of me. Am I a hypocrite? Like, exactly, exactly. Here I am. Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? Maybe it's anxiety or stress. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available depending on what you need and the services available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor. BetterHelp.com is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. They make it easy and free to change your counselors if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp.com wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com slash hope to recharge. That's BetterHelp dot com slash hope to recharge and join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll also get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash hope to recharge. 
And there was a conversation on social media about, we're going to go back to our previous conversation about how do we train our children if we're going to tell our daughters, our 15, 16 year old, our babysitting, don't let the father ever drive you home at night after you babysit. If you're babysitting and the, and, and only yes. the, fa- yes. And only the father and mother, your parents come home. Right. Are we training them that every man is dangerous or are we going to give them tools to trust themselves and say, wait, does this look dangerous? Does it not look dangerous? And there's such a fine line because we can give them the freedom to, to choose, but they might get hurt along the way. So how do we build yeah. that? Good question. I think it really has to also do with age appropriate um, developmentally. We're talking about your third grader. Listen, I'm also just want to name the fact that different children are different. Like I know some 10 year olds who I think are still navigating like seven year old tasks, even socially or emotionally. I just want to say that or there's 15 year olds who are very mature. So I just want to put it out there. If any parent is, oh, what are you saying? It's we have to know our own children. I'm talking about a 16 year old that's babysitting 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, even 12, 13, 14 people like babysit neighbors. I think that there's two different pieces. I think that we do need to say, look, I know we talk about the concept of but even separate from that, there's like things that are appropriate. And I think that we begin this conversation. Conversation. I think somebody posted the other day with a whole story of, are we only sex educating our children when there's sexual trauma? Or do we also talk about the concept of connection and love? Exactly. As part of the organic educational process. Like we, and then it's healthy and beautiful. And it's something we look forward to part of the connection and it's enjoyable. And at the same time, there's ways to use things in a beautiful, healthy way where we feel connected to ourselves mm-hmm. and to other people. And right. there's ways things can be used to harm. If we have too much of a certain of protein, or if we drink too much water, or our belly right. ache, too much social time, like we need a long time. So anyway, I think there's this concept of what feels right in our minds and our bodies and educating our children. So I think that there's this piece of, look, if you're going to babysit, it's important that the home environment is one that like, I, it's a place where you're comfortable, that it feels right for you to go there. And also when you come home, you have a safe and comfortable way to get home. One, and then we define safety, right? There have been some instances where someone might bring a child home and have a conversation that's really more for grownups or even say or do something or touch someone in a way that's not okay. And I just want to say that because if you hear of a job and you meet the parents always, and I would say meet the parent first, or it's best if you know the person before someone could vouch for them. But even if you do, I want you to check if it feels comfortable inside or if something starts giving you that yucky feeling in your belly, like something doesn't feel right. And you could always call me or say, oh, I really have to go. So I think it's really, I think there's a piece of giving information. I'm a big believer of just the other day, my son was asking me questions. I'm a big believer, not of over giving information, but of giving a complete story that makes sense for that child. So they don't have missing pieces and they have to fill things in. Cause it's like, what do you mean? The dad can't drive me home. And what if the woman abuses her? What if the woman starts talking to her? Exactly. I know when I was babysitting, there was a woman who spoke to me about her sex life. Oh my God. And yeah. And I remember her saying something about whatever it was. And so it's, are we only saying it's men like boundaries are boundaries. So mm-hmm. I think conversations about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, what feels good or what gives you the ick, right? What's the ick feeling inside when you are spending time with someone and they're asking you personal questions or someone's standing too close to you and you're just like, ick, give me some space. Sometimes there's this ick of someone sharing something or it's like things that really it's not any of your business. The gut feeling you're talking about. I think that I would start a conversation and it would start way before the teenagers. But even if your kids are teenagers or even adults, you can have it right now. Let's say you have a 20 year old who's done for a job interview and the person who's interviewing them, she has like a weird feeling from them. So not always do you have to run away or shut down dynamics or workplace environments or relationships like that, but you want to be very mindful of it, right? Unconsciously, this whole piece is about like assertiveness. Like I can go and babysit at someone and then I have an experience and then I set a boundary, right? Of You know what? I'm actually going to get my own ride home and feel okay doing the babysitting job. And it could be okay because I'm setting a healthy boundary. So it's good for me or work with a boss who might not have the best boundaries if they honor mine. Then there's like someone who doesn't honor mine or feels yucky. And then it's, you know what? I'm going to have to bow out of this or I'm not comfortable with it. I think the way that we teach them a ton is really about having ongoing conversations about like noticing what's ha- like how something feels. Like I might even just say, I know the other day I was waiting in line and somebody went in front of me and I was like, I'm, I'm really upset. Like I'm actually feeling angry. Like my body's getting tight. Like why do you go in front of me? And I want to be understanding, but I'm also annoyed. Right. Or even just if I'm like, my voice is a little higher the other night, I noticed that my voice was getting a little higher. I'm like, honestly, yeah, there's a lot of things in my mind. So I think almost like sometimes narrating the same way they talk about teaching our children about having a relationship with God or teaching them about like mm-hmm. love and intimacy and connection. I don't mean sexual, like even like husband and wife or right. family dynamics, like 
every opportunity you have is a modeling opportunity, is a mm. teaching opportunity. The same way we say, oh, thank you, God, or God, can you please help me find a spot or Hashem, please, whatever, like prayer. So I think there's this piece of like, I realize there's so many things on my schedule today, or you told me that you went with your friends. I would be tracking it. Wow, your face looks a little sad or, or I, I, I wouldn't like force it, but it would just be like, yeah, you have a feeling when something feels good or if you feel like there's a belly ache. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. almost like starting now for different children, it could feel different. It could even just be them saying, I don't know. I don't want to go. And I, I don't know why, but I just don't want to go. So trust that feeling versus saying, oh, but maybe go, you'll have a great time. Maybe you'll regret it because your friends will be there. So maybe go give them permission to maybe make the mistake if that's what they're feeling and let them grow from that. I think this is a much bigger conversation though, because I'll tell you why we do have, some of us have children that have anxiety or they have, or we want to challenge them to socialize or be kinder or be more giving or sharing. And I think that there's that fine line between is my child pushing away or is there a dynamic that's coming up even for ourselves? Am I having a reaction? Is someone saying, something that's making me uncomfortable because I have social anxiety or I have my own trauma symptoms or I have my own insecurities. Right. And really what they're saying is perfectly fine. Or is there something about this person or this energy that's making me pull away? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what you're talking about. It's like a child says, no, I don't want to go. Is it like they just need some coaching of darling? It's okay. It might be a little uncomfortable. You're going to settle and it'll be fine. And we want to push them versus, oh, you're really not, it's really not feeling good. Is it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that piece over there really has to do with you having a relationship with your child. We all, they always, it always comes back to the basics, right? <laughs> Developing a consistent relationship, having a relationship with your child. Let's say even you and your daughter. So you made a little bit of a boo-boo, but you have a relationship. So then you tended to it and you did a repair and that's a learning experience. Wow. Mommy quickly jumped because I didn't want anybody else being in pain, but I'm, I'm hearing now how this is for you. Wow. We're always learning things in life, even mommies and daddies or whoever. So I think there's like a helping us continuously getting to know our children, knowing their nervous systems, mm. knowing our nervous system, which is how we regulate and we get overwhelmed. And I think also helping them and helping ourselves continue to deepen that. How do we really know when, let's say a, a teenager, a 12 year old, 15, 13 year old says, I don't want to go to the party. I don't want to go to the perm party. I don't want to go to the perm party. I don't want to go to the how do we know that it's a gut and why? I don't know. I just don't feel like it's a gut feeling. How do we know if it's based on a trauma that somebody mocked them, made fun of them? They were once, they, they don't feel accepted or is it just a feeling of anxiety, of social anxiety? And what do we do? How do we know what it is? Yeah. If it's a trauma reaction, we want to attend to it. If it's just, if it's just a, uh, of a yucky feeling, we want to maybe help them get out, as you said, take away that anxiety or or support them through the anxiety to say, maybe you should go and maybe you'll think you'll be happy that you went. It might be hard in the beginning, but you'll, you might look back and you could see how you feel after 10 minutes, give them the options. Here's the thing. I actually think the implementation, I think the why to me is less important. I think the developing self-trust and the way to navigate is more important. Let me just tell you why. Okay. Let's say I have a trauma experience at a social event and I don't want to go. There's always this piece of, is it too triggering for me right now to go? And it's going to be re-traumatizing or is it possible for me to have a reparative experience? Now the repair doesn't always happen because I'm skipping over and being pushed. Sometimes it's like the fact that I know something, something uncomfy happened. I don't like Deborah. She's so mean to me all the time. She makes fun of me. Either Deborah is horrible and monopolized the whole school. And I don't feel safe ever walking into the auditorium or whatever, or I feel very frightened, but I probably could start connecting with some other people, hang out for a short time and then come home. So I think the concept of life is always a toss up of good and bad experiences. And the more self-awareness, the better we're able to deal with it. I think it has more to do with helping ourselves see literally in that situation when you're saying you don't know essentially what you want to help the child be able to do and you can say this you know what i'm really torn on the one hand i know sometimes something could happen and maybe something you recall or you don't even recall but you're just really not feeling comfy going huh and so part of me wants to tell you you know what just stay home honey but another part of me knows that sometimes even if something did happen that wasn't so good there could sometimes be a good experience that could happen and you might even Mm. come home happy or have a very medium experience yeah i'm really feeling pulled between pushing you to go because you might have a really good experience but also knowing if it really feels yuck that the entire time you'll be horribly miserable right i don't want to push you So I sometimes would, and and I think with different children, it's very hard to give like specifics. It's different, but essentially, let me just tell you something. Hey, hey, let's say, even if you do push them, then it's, if you're miserable for more than a few minutes and something really doesn't feel right, you could pick up the phone and call me. Now in that instance, Matana, there's, I just want to say something. You might have a child with an anxiety disorder or who's struggling socially that really needs much more deeper help. They're just having a traumatizing experience socially because they're having a hard time regulating their nervous system. Yes, yes. And they need that kind of support. So I just want to yes, name that. Yes, yes. Even if that's the case, 
then we need to support them with how can we help you regulate your nervous system, my love, so that you could feel more okay. So many times I talk to teenage parents and they say, but I really want to help her socialize. And I always say, okay, I want your child to socialize too, but I don't want her to feel like we're throwing her to the wolves. I want her to feel like she's going out on a rainstorm and she doesn't like going out on the rain, but that we're giving her a rain jacket and rain boots and she goes up for five minutes and then she could come back in. Does that make sense? So it's, is that- I, I, I told you this, I think last time we spoke that Dr. Ellie Leibowitz talks about the fine yeah. balance between supporting and enabling them and or giving them the comfort zone that they'll stay safe, but long-term yeah. they're going to suffer. And with kids that have anxiety and OCD, we really have to give them their experiences to choose on their own and support their choices yeah. with giving them the awareness, listen, you can regret it, but if that's your choice, that's okay. Or we can, but not to say, okay, stay safe all the time. We have that impulse, right? I want to protect you. I don't want you to ever, yeah. especially if we ourselves have had, or do have anxiety. It's almost right. like we want to protect them, but essentially it's, can I tolerate the discomfort and the painful learning lessons that my child is learning and will continue to learn? Like, I know that we had even spoken about, I know friends say like, how can I protect that this one happened to my child and this one happened? There's prevention. And then there's intervention. Sometimes we're lucky to do the prevention and sometimes we have to do intervention and it's, could we notice our own impulse to fall to hopelessness or despair or anger or rage or fears versus like, I'm with you in this really devastating experience. Let's say something happens, right? Socially, or even any kind of trauma, I'm here with you and we're going to navigate this together because I want you to be able to be there for yourself. And that I think speaks to what we were talking about. I know the whole concept of therapy or coaching, a lot of times this emotional piece, uh, is having another by our side so we can hold our own selves and hold our children. And we could do this thing called life because it's a journey that I just told someone else. I was like, when I get here and she was like, no, darling, you're on your way always. When I always tell clients, like they say, oh, am I going to get to certain treatment goals? And look, there's times in life or even in therapy or in life where we're climbing. And then there's times that we're plateauing. So I do believe in there's times where we want to get to that plateau. So, ah, Right. Then if you're still alive, my love, there's probably going to be another climb, maybe less steep, or maybe more steep, but we want you to have a stick or some by your side. So you, you can journey together. Does it really matter if it's a, if a child is having either a trauma reaction or a gut feeling, if, if does it matter? Do we need to know where it's coming? I'll tell from? you what matters. Yes. So I'll tell you the difference. Like people end up coming to our practice or the people who I've worked with, or even things that I've had to learn in terms of trusting my own internal system. It's if you have an alarm system that feels like it's misaligned, right? If you, you were raised in an environment that was very chaotic, or if you never really learned how to know what's a feeling of anxiety or what's a feeling of danger, then what's going to happen is like the alarm system is always going off or it never goes off because you're always dissociated or shut down or it's always going off. It's a smoke alarm with the low battery. At three o'clock in the morning, it's going off and you're like, oh my God. Right. Right. Or it's always going off. So I think that in that piece, it's like really helping ourselves or the child this is back to like therapy or healing, be able, and even you can do that, darling. I know you feel like it's very frightening. You want to help them orient to the facts and to reality. You're almost doing some cognitive restructuring, helping their brains and their bodies settle into what really is happening. People are not really mocking them, but they feel like they are, right? There's that feeling of anxiety or paranoia. So I'm saying that there could be this piece of noticing an overactive trauma reaction. And that needs to be tended to clinically or in some kind of intervention. So it's, if there's a disproportionate reaction, Oftentimes that's a trauma reaction. If it's very impulsive, if it comes with a rush, talk about like hunger and emotional hunger. People mm-hmm. talk about, there's a whole other, we're not going to go into it, but sometimes it's like, we'll feed ourselves by escaping either with like too much reach for our phone or we're watching too much or we're eating oh. that our bodies don't need. It's like, how do you know the difference between a real kind of hunger for connection mm-hmm. or for doing work? Or is there coming from a place of trying to fill a need? So usually it's, it comes with this rush or this impulse. Like, ah. Okay. So I think a lot of times like that anger. And yeah, so a trauma reaction usually comes with, or it's coming from, right, this internal lack of balance, it comes with this rush and this intensity, and you want to notice that. Is it something that... This is so, it so makes sense. And I want to share with you something that happened and someone was discussing a person that did awful Mm. things and it was, the family kept it very hush. And then we found out about it. I was talking to a friend of mine. She said, but maybe there was another side to the story and maybe it wasn't really what you heard had happened. I'm like, are you actually going to justify? And, or maybe he was drunk or maybe he was whatever. I said, going to justify. And I felt literally like my blood pressure was going off. And I said, I cannot talk about this anymore with you. It was like absolute. Mm. I refuse. And then I said, I wonder if, I wonder the person that I'm speaking to is a pedophile in themselves. I'm like, 
oh my God, maybe they're trying to justify because it feels uncomfortable. Like my mind went to such an unhealthy place versus saying, we're just having a conversation. I bet you it was a trauma reaction, not a gut feeling. Your trauma reaction was, by the way, your trauma reaction there was coming from, I'm just, I don't know your whole internal system. Maybe, right? The, The intensity of the reactivity that we have could be from something different. Meaning like it could just be that people were very unclear in your life or people doubted certain things or people, whatever it is, your point of strength that you knew to hold on to. And you went right there. You're like, where's my, my, my golden stick, my metal rod that I have clarity here. And I have to Mm. grasp onto that in that moment. It's not necessarily about the information there. It's that you're a person. It's less about the information. Someone could tell me the the school bus is blue. And I might say, what? The school bus is blue. It's so interesting. I wonder if this person thinks it's blue. I want, I know that school buses are yellow versus what? The school bus is not blue, but that has to do more with like me trusting myself or me being challenged. Trust. Yes. Trusting one. Oh, beautiful. Because we can hold versus wow. This is something upsetting. I actually have an opinion. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm actually noticing that I have a thought about you and the fact that you're asking me to follow my view, right? So it's that spaciousness. So we speak about like the taking space. That is beautiful. And I think that's so important important for parents to say just because your kid reacts doesn't mean that they had a pain in the same situation. It could be other things, but it's challenging their core. If by me, it's trust or or being um, comfortable or whatever it is for that person. For me, trust. And it's so funny that you got me spot on for me. Trust and truth is my ultimate like bar. I'm hearing that because I'm hearing now, I remember you told me the story I'm hearing now as you're talking, it's not about the information, it's the delivery and what happened internally to you. So many times something else is going on internally for us that has less to do with the content, but more about this dynamic that's happening. This right, person right. offered you something and you have to go for, where's the grain of truth? What's going on? I have to hold on to truth. So if this person's saying this, they might also not be saying the truth, which they right. might not be. They might yes be, right? right? But there's that, we want to create spaciousness and being like, I see this information. I see this information. I know what I know. Huh. And then you can still come to whatever clarity you might have, but you're negotiating it with a spaciousness versus a panic. And a- I still yeah. don't have clarity on the fact of gut versus trauma response. And if it even really matters to know at the moment versus the trauma response, I think the trauma response has more to do with if there's an impulse, very intense, very like disproportionate. They say when there's hysteria, there's history. So okay. if you think oh, wow. Hysterical. Yeah. The more hysterical the person is, the more history there is. So somebody could mm. say, Hey, you look so great today. And I'm like, wow, you can't, you're objectifying <laughs> me. Right. It's wait, what's happening here. Oh, there wow. must be history to the way someone might comment on complimenting you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think just so you know, the, so usually if there's a trauma reaction or anxiety, it's there's disproportionate reactivity that you want to look at. Right. That's not connected versus a slow and consistent information that's gathered. And there's a sense of clarity as you're digesting information that's happening over time. Now, the question of, does it really matter? I think the, does it matter is basically just a matter of our intervention or how we're applying it to ourselves and our children. I don't know if it matters and it matters because I just said, if somebody's having a difficult time, or if somebody doesn't have the capacity or hasn't really developed a gut sense, it's going to be hard for them to navigate the world. But if you haven't developed a gut sense, either that we haven't built enough trust with our child. Maybe we haven't helped nurture that capacity for that child. Maybe we need to develop more trust with our own selves and develop more self-trusting experiences with children. I know for some people, it's, can you do an art project? Can you help them challenge themselves? Some people will go to a ropes course. It could be something so small. You could do the dishes. I know I have a family friend, um, a relative, but lets their kid wash the dishes just because she feels so self, you know, fulfilled when she does the dishes, even though mom has to redo it later you know, when she's looking. But I'm saying small areas of self-trust mm. and self-reliance. So and trust and love is the same Shoresh, the same root? I think it's connected. I think that really love is a matter of trust and respect, to be honest. It's not so it first respect. starts. So I you're think, saying it starts first with trusting ourselves. I think that if I trust myself, I'm going to give you the most delicious love. If I don't trust myself, I'm giving you a little bit of a wobbly kind of love, a wobbly kind of interaction. So essentially like self-trust, self-growth, negotiating areas, solidifying, then I think that they play on each other. Trust them. Think about any relationship you have, right? Mm -hmm. And then we can serve ourselves better because we're making better decisions, but it all goes back to worthiness. Yeah. You're going back to the core value. (laughs) But Matan, I wonder if the reason I'm not, you're not getting a simplified answer is because- No, I want, I I like the answer. I like the answer a lot. I think it's more multifaceted. And I think it's like some children also have more sensitive nervous systems. And I don't think it's a black and white thing. 
No. And I think even for children with, let's say, sensitive nervous system or anxiety, even if there isn't trauma, then we help them learn. Like, I want to help you be able to learn how to engage with someone or to choose a good friendship and how to walk away. And we're going to figure this out together. It's going to take time. We're going to get to know how your mind thinks and how your body feels. Like we're also teaching people how to get, how to live in their own bodies and in their own minds so they can make smart choices and learn from the dumb ones or the unwise ones or the difficult ones. My friend, Folly Klein, do you know her? Sounds so familiar. She's a hypnotherapist and she speaks a lot. And okay. okay. So she always, one of the things that she really taught me was instead of fixing your child's pain, sit with the pain, sit with them in the pain, because the brokenness is when you're open. And when you teach your child that it's not, oh, someone bullied me. Oh, let's call their parent. Let's call the teacher. How does that feel? Oh, it must be really sad. Let me sit with your sadness. Sometimes people really hurt us and the world can be really that. And just sit before we go into any solutions or anything like that. And we're so trained in this life of, of, perfection and let's be you more than being yeah Yeah. and oh i'm going to make sure my child doesn't feel pain versus no i'm going to teach my child to be able to hold space for the pain because life is full of pain and because the terror yeah and you will survive because we all survive she bought a beautiful she speaks about the hallelujah that david that david sang and it was from brokenness and he basically was saying that where do you find god in the brokenness and where do you find strength when you're shattered and opened and And it Yeah. And, and through there, the light can come in, but if we're constantly holding the glue together that it shouldn't break, the light can't come in. And something that I think that when my childhood, my pain was so strong that I didn't like the feeling. And I said, I don't want my kids to feel that pain. I don't want my kids. And after I, when I was an adult and I went through depression and anxiety and it was brutal, was the worst pain in my life. And I said, I don't want them ever to feel that I'm going to protect them versus no, you have the tools. And if I healed from it and I went through it, you saw we went through it and it's part of life and it's okay. So let's sit in the pain together. What can I do to help you within this pain right now to make you feel safe in the pain, not fixing it? We can't fix it. I know it's like a beautiful dream, but right. The thing about even bullying, and I know we have to wrap is sometimes we can't change it overnight. Oftentimes there's a lot of dynamics that different children navigate right? A kid struggles in school academically. You're not going to change their brain. You could, you could give them tutors. You could help them. But essentially it's, can you know that I'm by your side? Because being alone in struggle is so much worse. It's almost intolerable and unsurvivable. But if somebody's with you, even if you're in a lot of pain and you're miserable, right? Anxiety and depression, when we're really struggling, it's very hard to feel comforted by another person, but there is this. It's impossible. Right. It's like you're in this darkness, but there's this knowing of you're with me. So we want to give the experience of, I am with you and I'm here through anything be with ourselves first just like last night when there was turbulence and i was texting my husband that i'm about to die and i was sure i'm about to die and he's you're going to be okay you're going to be okay i'm like i don't want to hear that because you don't know what i'm going through and i, I said it's like i said do you remember when i was having panic attacks back in the day mm-hmm. and the last thing you are allowed to tell me is you're going to be okay or breathe. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, oh, it must be so scary. I'm so sorry you're going through this. And it was so similar that turbulence was so similar to mental illness and what people don't understand and they don't understand. We're not here to fix. We're here to sit near you. I don't know what's going to happen with the turbulence. And right Right. in this moment, can you be, can you survive this being with her? And I'm so sorry you're going through this panic attack. And I'm so sorry you had anxiety yesterday when you walked into class. And I'm so sorry you had this awful interaction with your friend. It must have been painful. It must have been real. And it gives so much strength to children versus hello adults too. No, I'm saying Kalvachomer adults. Kalvachomer, developing children, right? It's like, they know everything. And and allow them to be with their pain. Devira, my yoga teacher, and I'm going to wrap up with this and then give you the final word. Devira, when I was struggling so deeply with my depression and I was on the yoga mat every night at 8 p.m. My kids knew mommy goes to yoga every night. It was my non-negotiable in order to survive. And I used to, sometimes I used to just do Shavasana and cry and just cry. And one night, I said, Devira, I can't do this anymore. I can't. And I was running to healers and doctors and medication and everything. 
And she said, and I said, Tavira, find me a healer. Did you hear of this healer? What do you think about him? What do you, he wants $10,000. And she said, Matana, stop. Just be in your pain. I said, mm-hmm. I looked at her and I said, Tavira, just be in my pain. She said, yeah, stop running away from it. Sit in it. Be in it. I talk about this all the time. I, my listeners know. And I said, what? I don't want to feel it. She said, that's why you need to feel it. And she didn't go through any mental illness or any, she never even experienced it, but she knew that what I was doing was wrong by running away. And she said, just breathe through it. Let it pass. Let it be. It's like a kidney stone. Let it move. And it was the biggest lesson she gave me in life. And this is what I can give to my children and my clients and my whoever asked me. It's okay to be in pain and don't try the band-aid, the, the constantly, the medication, the drugs, the, the, the doctors feel it. Yeah. So I give you the final word. Rap- First of all, thank you. You're a beautiful soul. I'm so like honored to know. Really, I'm excited. <laughs> I think what I would say is if anyone notices that they're having a hard time being with the pain, then reach out to someone or a resource or even a loved one and say, I noticed that I have a lot of pain. Can you, can, can I just share with you? Because being able to connect often helps with being with the pain and helps to start making a shift to develop your own self-trust, your own self-love, and then from there continuing to blossom in this yeah. 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 I want to just add to that. I just spent three days with a founder of Chazkenu, Zahava List. She has a thousand women, Jewish women around the world that call in to her support. Like they have a Zoom and a call mm-hmm. four times a week. Wow. And, and I say, Zahama, what is it? She's, it's that they're not alone. Wow. It's that they're not alone. Wow. And some of them, it's their lifeline. Connection. No one's curing them from bipolar, from mania, from abusive relation, from trauma, but just having that, okay, you're here, you're safe. We get it. And it's okay to be in pain right here. A thousand women. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's connection. Mm-hmm. We all, we're all hungry for connect. We are all Hungering for connection. So ways to connect to ourselves and, and make validation. sure that others. Yes. Yeah. Validation and support. Thank you for your work and your beautiful. Thank you. Do you have room in your private practice for, for do you made, you do usually see only teens or you see what's your age? Group we see, so it's myself and a few other clinicians at this point. I think I told you, I have um, a training program for therapists who mm. are developing their own knowledge in trauma training using somatic methods and mind body healing. Does it only have one second? Does it only have to be a therapist or can no, it so, coaches? No, so and- it happens to be there's coaches and there's educators that are actually also being more trauma informed, which just oh. humbled me. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll connect you with that information. But basically, no, our practice sees children, teens and adults. So it depends on the practitioner and area of specialty. We have like creative arts, entry, art therapy, dance movement therapy, and then mm. everyone's trained in EMDR and somatic method. Wow different wow. kinds of therapies to help our clients. And even if we're not the best fit, like we're very committed to helping people find the right therapist or person or resource that can be helpful. Okay. So we're going to drop all the links in the bio, yeah. in the, in the yeah. bio of this uh, episode and the show notes. So I want the core the link to the course, how to reach you, your information and what everybody, what people, I guess you have a website that people yeah, can we have find. A website. We have a bunch yeah. of free downloads. Once a month, we create a free download of either a mindfulness exercise or a body scan or a containment exercise or boundaries. So people could sign up to our mailing list and or whatever, just download, go on the site and download. And you're on Instagram a lot or on Facebook. Which one are you, do you do more? I think Instagram right now, like our intake manager is managing more of it for me. Okay, yeah. because you have very nice content, very Ooh. inspirational moments and just seeing your lives. And so what's your Instagram? It's Esther underscore Goldstein underscore LCSW. But the name is Integrative Psychotherapy. So anyone can put it in or put my name in and it will pop up. And it'll be in the show notes. We'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you for this very interesting, very needed conversation. Very needed. I was just telling somebody that I don't think there's a day that goes by that one of my chats on WhatsApp or on another group doesn't have uh, tonight a Zoom meeting on teens and whatever. There's so much awareness and there's still so much pain. Yes. We're in a growth spurt now. We're in growing pains and we need everything we can in order to get through this chapter because there's really like a change that's going on and people like you are are saving lives. So thank you. Thank Thank you, you, Esther. Thank you for joining me and thank you for your time and thank you for your smile. Your big smile and your big heart.
Yes. Uh, and maybe we'll do another conversation about, we can talk for, for days, right? <laughs> we'll do another conversation. Maybe yes. about self-love or. About- oh, yes. Self-love. Self- mean, right? I think self-love and self-acceptance is something that people work on for life. Matana, but I feel like we should talk about it because when somebody tells me to work on self-love, I roll my freaking eyes. And at the very same time, the more I work on my own personal self-love and self-validation, I am a more beautiful human being. So right. Self-love doesn't mean what we think it means. It doesn't right? mean it doesn't mean right. pampers and massage. Right. It poses. could be part of it, but that's not what it means. I Let's think talk it, about it because right. it's I a deeper layer. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for your time. Bye, Bye till next time. Take Bye. care. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. In Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. Looking to reduce your anxiety and stress, relax your muscles, or get a better night's sleep? Check out Maxifies.com, 100% legal hemp, where you can find doctor-formulated, lab-certified, high-quality CBD oils, tinctures, and other items, cultivated, grown, harvested, and packaged in the United States, and available in different sizes and strength formulas. Check out Maxifies.com, that's M-A-X-I-F-Y-Z.com, and use coupon code HOPE to get 10% off your order, plus free shipping. That's Maxifies.com.